Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here, my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, and Erica is working the dials as always. Guys, Shane, you're at a cottage right now, uh, and it looks like you, you, you look like you're cottaging. You have no sleeves on. You look pretty cool and relaxed, and you have a drink going. Uh, how are you feeling? Feeling pretty cool and relaxed. Yeah, I got a drink going. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Yeah, we went to this like... Uh, moonshine place and uh bought some moonshine so i'm drinking moonshine right now and it's it's pretty uh tasty wow cool yeah where is your cottage by the way whose cottage is this this is my in-laws cottage their their family cottage alex's family cottage and um it's pretty sweet they they it was a one floor cottage then they had a wrecking ball come take it down and then now it's a two-story where is it though i want to geographically where is it oh sorry uh on eagle lake I don't know if that means anything Where, to you. That means I don't nothing know. to me. Where I don't know. That? I don't know. It's like a three-hour drive from Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I put it into Google Maps, and then it takes us there. I'm the navigator, though. Alex drives. so. I feel like in the era of Instagram, I mean, it's always probably been like this, but there's different like class levels of cottage. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. If you're like super rich, you're going up to Muskoka. I'd say yeah. one tier below that is the Kawarthas. Uh, mm. I think up and coming is Prince Edward County. Yeah, I think most people in Hamilton are going down to Port Dover. Um, I think if you're in London, Grand Bend's kind of your, your best bet. But, uh, but I do find that it's like a cultural signifier, like where you, where you land on like, you know, the, the money earning thing. Uh, if, if, if you got a Muskoka place, you're you're showing that off all the time on your geotags. Have you have you found that? Yeah, I feel like Muskoka is like the be all end all, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. where Eagle Lake stands, so I'm unsure whether <laughs> to post or not a lot. <laughs> no, just stay away from the geotag yeah. until Max can confirm whether it's a yeah. fancy place or not. It feels pretty sweet though. It, it, I think where I'm at right now is that perfect level of where it's very comfortable and but not pretentious, but not like bummy. Like it's not like mm. so. Like my mom is a cottage in Selkirk, <laughs> and that's fine. I just I like it about like fifty times less than here. <laughs> uh, it, it does look like wherever the cottage is uh, that you guys have recently pulled off an art heist of some sort in the background there. <laughs> They're big art fans. Uh, there being uh, John and Lorna. And yeah, they, there's this guy named Leapy Lee and they, they get him, they commission all of his art pieces. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that's probably great. his nickname. Yeah. You know, who, you know what, guys, I actually just, uh, I was a little late to the call, or at least I thought it was going to be, but then everybody rolled in a little bit late uh, as we are coming off a holiday uh, weekend here in Canada. Uh, but I was just talking to uh, my brother uh, who was just on last week's pod oh, because it is birthday. his birthday today. That's yeah. Right. So I, we did a FaceTime with Winnie and him, but uh, he was making me laugh, Max, because obviously on last week's episode, we talked about how Michael Bradley had followed him, the star <laughs> of the Toronto FC, 
And he said, uh, <laughs> fucking Max, <laughs> this is my brother, I quote him. I go, what did he do? He goes, well, because I asked him, I said, hey, did you get any response from any of the, the, the people from the team after appearing on the podcast? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, but Max went and tagged uh, <laughs> this video of me saying that Michael Bradley now follows me on Instagram. He goes, Max tagged Michael Bradley. He goes, so I immediately was so embarrassed. He's like, so I had to reach out to Max. He's like, he's like that weird parent that's like sending me to school on the first day of school. And he's like, don't forget your acne cream. He's like, <laughs> he, said he, felt, he said he felt so so and then max was like sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened i was so excited because you know i'm very proud of your brother uh but i've been accused of this before like dan our friend dan who works with kyle dubas and the leafs like he'll get mad at me for that as well if, if he feels like i'm prodding or getting involved too much but i was just like this piece of content is hilarious greg is so cool he's got cool friends like us bradley should be aware of this <laughs> that, that was my line of reasoning <laughs> Uh, I'm, I must have missed it though. So you must have taken it down pretty quick after Greg oh, sent yeah. the text. Oh yeah, I got a, a scolding text and I took it right down. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, what else has been going on? Anything else? Uh, you were on a roof or something. Me? I saw you on a roof singing. Oh, <laughs> you mean on TV or on on, Insta- on our personal Instagram? Both. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no. I didn't watch it on TV. I saw a, a thing. I don't know. You're, explain. <laughs> uh well, uh, on the weekend, Ash had some people over because our Kells were a part of uh, the the hockey coming back, and we uh, filmed uh, us performing two songs acoustically: our new song "Quitting You" and our other song "Years of the Making." And it was before the Leafs game, so it was a really exciting weekend because the band hasn't worked in like or had a proper show in a very long time. I mean, we we've continued to work since we were taken off the road because of COVID, but. We haven't had actually like an event that we were like a part of in like in a major way. So this was actually like really exciting um, to actually like dig dig in, get our hands dirty, have to like and we we produced the the special and then kind of handed it over to Rogers and Budweiser. So we are very much a part of like the filming and the cutting and the backdrop and everything. So it was very fun. And then on Sunday we had some people over to Ash's place on her rooftop. She lives just like on Young Street and has like an awesome third floor roof. And we uh, set up a TV outside, as I think many people did in Canada, across the country, with sports coming back, having some backyard viewing parties or rooftop viewing parties. And it was awesome. And it was cool because our song Quitting You just came out on the previous last Thursday. And so it was like a big look to be able to like go on you know national TV with sports coming back. And it was fun. A lot of our friends were there and we're singing along to the song, to the new song within two days. Everyone seemed to know a bunch of the words. And so it was really cool. I haven't felt like that in a long time. It was awesome. And Ron McLean's intro was pretty cool too. He kind of like big upped everyone in the band, except for Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Was Nick hurt by that? No, no. But Ron's always done that. The first time we ever did anything with Ron, it was at a TIFF party and he went out of his way to introduce every band member and then he he referenced some deep cuts i think i've probably talked about this before but he 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 referenced i'm not the sun and i'm no champagne socialist and i remember thinking i'm like man this is not even on tv this is like a late night one in the morning tiff party and this guy is done his homework i was like he is such a pro he also went out of his way to say the names of chazelle weeks and amoy evans who sang with us on years in the making and maya kiltron who played fiddle with us 
And it was my probably my favorite part of the whole weekend was that Maya, who's a new who's a new musician friend of ours, she because uh, on the new song Quitting, we have a fiddle, and we needed a fiddle player to play with us live because Kendall Carson, who played on the track, she lives in Vancouver Island. Uh, Maya, yeah, sent us a really just nice note and just how much it meant to have Ron McLean say her name mm-hmm. like on national television, and she said she's never kind of got that recognition before. So that was the coolest part, I think, of the whole thing. It's just kind of the the community vibes that I like about uh, yeah, playing in a band and getting to feel that. So uh, yeah, d- uh, did you watch the performance on on our Instagram, Sh- Shane? No, I'm at a, I'm at a cottage and the Wi-Fi is not always great. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as I get uh, home, though, I'm checking it out. Yeah, as soon as you get back to some LTE, you gotta check it out. Um, speaking of uh, of Nick, uh, the bass player in your band, uh, you know, every morning I go out for a walk with my daughter Winona. You know, I'm like the morning guy when we're splitting the duties, and I mm-hmm. ran into him. Uh, and then I got a text from you shortly <laughs> after that, Maxi. Yeah, because we were in the studio this week and uh, last week, I should say, and Nick was like. Uh, have you talked to Mike lately? I was like, wow, what's up? He's like, I, I saw him today. I was acting really weird. I was like, why were you <laughs> acting weird? It was like 10 a.m. He's like, well, the issue is, is that he was with Venona and it was 10, a, it was like 9 a.m. And I was eating like a fudgicle or something like that. <laughs> and, he, and he was trying to hide his fudgicle from you and Winona. And uh, he felt very embarrassed. As a 35-year-old, shouts to Nick, his birthday was actually the other day as well. Uh, he felt very embarrassed. And he didn't, he didn't want to set a bad example for Winona, it sounds like. Hey, he was hiding the chocolate. Like Max texted me and he goes, hey, was Nick being weird? I go, no. I go, he was, kind, he was in a van, like he was driving. And so he was at a four-way stop and we had to wave someone through so we could keep talking. And then, yeah, it turned out he was hiding a fudgeicle mm. so he wouldn't get judged for uh, rock, crushing a fudgy at fucking 9 a.m., which I thought was hilarious. I was like, that's aspirational. I wish yeah. I had a fudgeicle to eat at 9 a.m. That's why he had to hide it. That's right. <laughs> he didn't want to share it. Not during these times. Guys, this is unrelated to anything, but um, I'm on TikTok now because uh, Lauren loves scrolling through TikTok. And there was a TikTok saying that, um, you know, you're a millennial if you hold your camera like this. If you are a Gen Z, you hold your camera like this. Did you know that's a thing? I, I don't get so, it. Like So uh, millennial, millennial, Gen Z. Millenni- and what's the thinking? Well, we well, know the above angle is actually better. Well, millennials think that's that's the the look. That's what you want. That's more flattering. Gen I'm a millennial. Z, they're beyond that. They just think this is cool. Oh, no, gotcha. yeah. I'm millennial. Like mine's down. <laughs> I'm on the cusp of millennial. I'm the last year you can be a millennial. You mean you're the first year you could be a millennial? Like you're Whatever. the oldest. You one. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm the <laughs> oldest you can possibly be. Uh, Erica, what do you think is cooler? You're the youngest one on this podcast. This, yeah, or this? Uh, I think I think the Gen Z way is a little bit cooler. Yeah, interesting. So wait, Mike, Mike has it pointing pain. up at him. So that means you're not a millennial. Well, two things. First of all, uh, it is, it's just the way the desk is. I don't have anything mm. to put the, I got my computer. You guys got like, I think phones. So they're kind of like, I'm on a computer also. Oh, interesting. Did you stack it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. This just came to me uh, naturally. I just did. I didn't even think about it. This is just how I did it. It's a millennial thing. Yeah. No. Um, I, and I, here's the thing. I feel like, I don't know. I'm an 81 and as I know, there are uh, there's people that say 81 is the, actually the start of the millennials, Shane. If you look it up on Google right now. That's bull. Look it up, Erica. <laughs> All right, Shane, are you accusing Mike of being a Gen Xer? Is that what you're saying? Right? Oh, uh, he's for sure not in the same, uh, <laughs> like whatever it's called as me, millennial. 
<laughs> like, what are these groupings called? Like, what do you call these groupings? I, th- I thought it was Gen X. Um, generations, I suppose, is what you call oh, them. Is yeah. Generation Erica, X, Generation um, Z. So uh, so the first search result says uh, anyone born between 1981 and 1996 is considered a millennial. Really? Okay, there you have it. Hey, I make the cusp too. We're all, hey, we're all part of the nuts. same cohort. Wow. Just kids. Shane, how drunk are you right now, by the way? I'm not drunk. I'm more like warm and fuzzy. Like that phase. Like, you know, I'm not slurring. I'm just more like mm-hmm. out there spacey kind of. Mm, the fun, the fun type, fun loving. Mm, that's that's good. a good way to be. It's yeah. a good way yeah. to be. Uh, speaking of uh, sort of the, the year we were born, whether you're millennial or anything like that, I was listening to, I'd posted about this on Twitter, but the uh, Jim Carrey on uh, Mark Marin WTF. Mm. I don't know if you guys listened to it, but um, he was saying something that I thought was very interesting. And he was talking about uh, the idea of when you like sort of think too much about the past or think too much about the future. He talks, he, he called it getting into a time machine. He goes, he goes like, whenever I get caught up in that, I call it getting into the time machine. Mm-hmm. And he says it actually doesn't, it's not healthy because nobody is able to just sort of be present all the time. And I've been thinking a lot about that since Jim Carrey said that. And I was like, I do think a lot about either like the past or and like paths not taken. And then I find myself thinking a lot about sort of the future and like, well, what am I doing to set this up? And what does this look like in five years? And I'm like, I think I am doing it at the expense of being present, like with yeah. my kid or with my, with Danica. And I'm so, and I'm so ever since I heard uh, Jim Carrey say that whenever I find myself getting into the proverbial time machine, I actually stop myself and like try to be just present. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, I found it to be very, very, very like helpful from a mental standpoint where I'm just like, Oh, it actually feels good to then just sit in the moment. Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys listen to that pod? Mike, this is my whole um, theory on uh, mindfulness because what you describe is literally mindfulness. It's just being like, uh, I, I think it's part of it at least, which is like, just be in the moment, be uh, be aware of when you're thinking too much about the past or when you're stewing too much on the future or either or, and just try your best to be present and to appreciate uh, sort of the beauty around you and what, what's, what you can take in in this very moment. And But my issue with the word mindfulness is that if you say, I'm practicing mindfulness, you sound like a fucking asshole. You sound like a jackass. But <laughs> if, 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 if Jim Carrey says something cool on a Mark Maron podcast, you go, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Because I'm pretty sure that I've talked about this very idea on the podcast or like going out with friends and be like, oh, this has actually really helped because mm-hmm. my stress comes from thinking about the past or thinking too much about the future. But if I'm just yeah. able to go, oh, actually the thing that's happening right now is I'm sitting right here. I'm in my parents' house right now. I'm talking to you guys. And then you go, okay, life isn't as chaotic anymore. Uh, I guess the thing that I, what we need to do, I think this happens a lot in culture, is what are annoying phrases or things that put people off when it, it could actually be a very useful tool? You know what I mean? It's like, talking about branding. It's all branding. It's, it's all branding. Honestly. Jim Carrey calling it a time machine stuck with me. I mm-hmm. went, that is such a cool way to describe the way about thinking about the past or going to the future. He's like, you're getting in the time machine. Get out of the time machine, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think that that was such a, a sticky way to describe it that for me was like, ooh, I love that. Like, I'm getting in the time machine. I got to get out of the time machine right now. Yeah. You should, uh, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. We, we should make a list of things that are just kind of branded incorrectly. I think a lot of the mental health stuff is branded incorrectly. There's a lot of stuff that's branded incorrectly that could actually be really useful. I've heard that the past is uh, related to depression and the future is related to anxiety. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. That sense. That makes total sense because you're depressed about something that's probably happened to you or events that have happened to you and you're anxious. Things you could have done. Anxiety comes from, yeah, things you yeah. could have done and you regret 
and then you're anxious or you have anxiety about things that are coming up. Yeah, that makes sense. Or things you won't do coming up that you will or won't do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you guys think of anything off the top of your head that should have a rebrand? I think exercise should have a rebrand. I think there needs to be a better (laughs) way because to brand exercising because I find whenever anybody who does like to work out describes like the benefits of working out, I find it not to be that convincing. Even though when I do work out, I do enjoy it and I know the benefits are there. But do you, do you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of people who don't exercise have just been pitched it incorrectly. Shane, how would you pitch it exercising to somebody who doesn't really like exercising that much? I don't know. I've tried. It doesn't work. When you pitched he it, would say, like I tried to get say, Mike and I used to go to the gym. Like it lasted just, like three thought, times each time I tried I to make you, it fun. I thought your joke was going to be when Max goes, what would you say to somebody? I thought you were going to go, well, I would say, Mike, this is what we need to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we, I will say that when we did work out for like that, it was like a month yeah, maybe, yeah. or just under a month. Uh, it did feel good. It felt mm-hmm. good. My, my arms felt a little swole. I felt like, uh, mm. I got that rush that everybody talks about, but it's really, I just, I find it so brain draining to work out. I'll, I could play basketball for eight hours a day on vacation. I just, I cannot work out and lift weights. It's so, um, it's hard. The crazy part is Mike, you bought the year membership. Mm. <laughs> it was a great deal. <laughs> I know, but it's like, if you're on the fence, I would say never buy the year membership. Well, this is what people do. Psychologically, mm-hmm. I said to myself, if I spend the money on the year membership, yeah. once I start to lose uh, a little bit of interest, I will stick with it because I'm monetarily mm-hmm. tied to it. But as we all know, after you do this enough times, you don't give a shit about the money once you're, you know, don't no. want to do it. And you were too it's proud though to go tell them like, oh, maybe can I get the money back and just do the month? <laughs> you, you just paid and never went back. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that's a tough one. I, I don't have the answer to that. What, what about you, Erica? Uh, do you work out? <laughs> no, not not consistently and not regularly. What do you need to be told? You um, think that like what's the rebrand that would actually work for you? That like you're gonna look hotter. Like mm. you will physically look. Your body will look better. It's very oh. shallow. It's very um, mm, surface level. But that's what would work for me. I think yeah. And you also see, I- like health factors like would be great. But I think what would really get me out there is like, oh, you will have a six pack if you do X, Y, Z, X amount of times. I'll be like, okay, great. I just think that, okay, here's my pitch to anybody who should maybe get a little bit more exercise. It's not even necessarily join a gym. But I just think that I, any problems I ever have in my life are solved on a walk the, or, or on a run or when I move my body. Any issue, if I'm like stuck on a lyric or a problem, I just go for a walk. Often it involves a phone call, but sometimes it's just me and my own thoughts. And the movement and the fresh air, that just solves all my problems. So basically it's a problem solving tool. So if you have any issues in your life, it'll just get solved on a walk. That's my pitch. That's a good one. What what if you get a cramp on the run? Uh, and then you have to come back and then your your body hurts. Mm. Like then what? Uh, you, what happens to the problem? You know, you, you go slow and steady to start and then you, you build yourself up. In no rush. Okay. It's, it's a long road. That, that's, that's my vibe. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> good advice. It's good advice. Um, guys, you want to move on to topics? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. So our first topic is the head of Spotify, Daniel Eck, uh, in an interview had suggested, um, you know, because I guess one of these things that dogs Spotify as it is like a billion dollar company and it's thriving and, and more so even during this pandemic, uh, a lot of people have, have talked about um, maybe the practices that, 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 that they have when it comes to paying royalties to artists. Uh, some people say, oh, they're not paying them enough. Uh, what's the formula, et cetera, et cetera. They're making money off artists. They're not giving it back. Uh, and I guess 
in sort of addressing these, you know, years long accusations or charges, those are strong words, uh, suggestions, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he basically said that artists maybe don't understand that in 2020, uh, you can't put out music at the rate that they maybe put it out in the old music model, that basically you have to engage with fans nonstop. You can't put out an album every three years. Uh, and that basically you just, you have to hustle. If you work hard, then the Spotify royalties will, will pay for pay, pay what you want them to pay. This caused an uproar amongst musicians. Of course, we have a musician on this podcast, a very successful musician. I guess we'll start with you, Max, because I'd be very interested to know what your thoughts were when he said that. Did you find it insulting to hear that from the head of Spotify? Basically, if you want better royalties, work harder. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a classic example of the wrong person delivering a message that, not that I necessarily agree with, but might have some merit to it. I think it's one of those things that Spotify streaming royalty rates aside, the reality is that like we're, we do live in the digital age and art is consumed way faster. And there's it's also more democratic, so there's more people putting out art all the time. So when it comes to just the marketplace itself, um, producing more often will probably serve you well. And that's probably the case. It's like just, and that's due to the, the nature of the digital age that we, that we live in. Uh, it is obviously very obnoxious for somebody like Daniel Eck to, to be the one telling someone that like, it would be one of those things. It's like, if it, if there was like a successful indie artist, okay, th- here's a good example. Volkpeck, uh, Volk Volkpeck. Do you know that name? Do you have you heard of that band? V U L P E C K. Have you heard of this band? They're, they're sort of this like avant garde indie rock jazz collective, and they're very fucking hip. And they have done everything themselves. They put out records on Spotify, like I think through their own label, to the point where they're selling out Madison Square Garden. You've never heard of this band, but the success of this band is based on how they've interacted into the digital space. So I, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I'm, I would guess if someone from that band, if the leader of that band said, hey, the way we've actually been able to make a career without any label, and it's actually like stimulated our touring business, and we've built up fans all over the world, we've done this by putting out records more consistently because we realize that that's how young people or music fans consume music this is something that young artists might want to think about that instead of like laboring over one record for six years and making and, and thinking it's your masterpiece and that's what you need to do. You might want to consider trying to, you know, have a little bit more output because you know, you're an artist living in this particular time and that's what you need to do. I don't think that kind of message would be taken as badly as most artists did with, uh, with Daniel Eck uh, saying this because it's just, Ultimately, it's annoying for a head of like a tech industry just to be like telling artists what to do. So I, I think it's a case of, of a bad messenger, uh, mostly more more than anything. Shaney, what are your thoughts? Uh, my, mine's more of like a question for Max. So, do you think releasing the uh, music too soon uh, fucks up the quality of the songs? For example, Taylor Swift released an album way sooner than she normally would have. But nobody's really talking about that album, or am I wrong? Uh, no, I mean, I think who there's a lot of examples. Like, where's of the thing- blank space? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, th- blank I mean space. Taylor- you say well, that, that about every album, I, whether that's I, Taylor it's Swift true. Or not. If it's not as good as blank space, <laughs> wait longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Taylor Swift example is, is hard to say because she's at, she's at a different point in her career, and we could we could do a whole episode on folklore, which would be very interesting to me. 
Um, I would say that there's been a lot of incredible records that have made have been made really quickly and are and then they catch lightning in a bottle and the quickness of it doesn't take away from the quality of the music. I say there's been a lot of records that have taken way too long and have been labored over uh, to the point where it's actually been a detriment to the music. And so that, that there's actually an argument to like enforcing deadlines, I think, for artists sometimes because it's like, hey, listen, we need the first draft of that book like by next month because otherwise I think a lot of artists are known to either procrastinate or also just sort of like get their heads too far into the details and it actually like not really making that much of a difference when it comes to the product itself. Um, of course there are examples of like, you know, Bruce Springsteen, he said he, he had to work on the lyrics to born to run for eight straight months and he worked on them every single day. Um, and that obviously proved to be the right move because that song is so good. So it's hard to say like, what is the right move? Cause, cause I think there's outcomes no matter how you do it, different outcomes, no matter how you do it. Um, but yeah, I, I guess for me personally, I do, I, I, the, the, the quickness of culture right now doesn't totally bother me. And the other thing is, it's just a fact of the matter. Like, and then I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not, I, I mean, I know other members of our band would like to slow down a little bit and be a little more, uh, would like to, you know, maybe be able to work, work on a song for a longer period of time. Um, but for me, I kind of, I personally enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of artists that like wish they could put out music faster than what's acceptable these days. Cause, yeah. cause even still, you can only put out maybe if you're a rock and roll band, you can only put out maybe one album every year and a half. And that's, mm-hmm. and for, I think for a lot of people that feels kind of slow. But should albums be dead? Like maybe you just, instead of albums, you just release one song at a time and maybe at the end of releasing all the songs, call it an album. Yeah, I mean that—that's another way to look at it. I think like Phil, uh, sorry, D- Daniel Eck f- could have again framed it differently. He could have said, you know, I know a lot of artists like are really like love the album format, and I love the album format. And I think there will always be a place for the album format, but by consistently putting out music, it will engage in the fans. It'll engage in your streaming community just by like having more music that makes like the front page of New Music Friday or whatever. Um, and that will overall help your streaming numbers. So I don't know. There, there's a few ways to look at it, but I just think I think it's like the messenger mm-hmm. was the problem in this particular case. Do you think? Um, I, I do wonder this. How how do they monetize the streams? Is it literally just like if you get a million streams, you get paid than different than somebody that gets say 500 streams, which seems obvious. So is it like the 500 streamers that are bitching about the royalty rate? Because it would seem like it would just come down a number of spins, no? Or is it the idea that the mechanism by which they sort of like promote certain songs could lead to more spins? No, I think it's just like the rate that they pay per song, per spin is the thing that a lot of people don't like. And I think Spotify compared to some of the other streaming like digital platforms is lower. I, I, I'm i going to get ah. this wrong, but I think like YouTube or Apple Music might pay a little bit higher we can clarify that afterward, uh, Erica. But um, but yeah, I think I think some people take issue that like Spotify is the biggest streaming platform in the world, and they pay their artists, you know, on the lower scale. I think I think that's one of the issues. It's a tough one, though. I don't know. Um, as it relates to, uh, do do you think this issue exists when it comes to film and and television? Like because you can cut movies faster, because cameras are better, because you can make things more cheaply in a lot of, a lot of cases. Do you think filmmakers are feeling the pressure to, 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 you know, to put movies out more often just because that's like the way the economy works? Or do you think this is a music specific thing? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I, I think writing is just as hard as making us like writing a movie or writing a series is just as hard as writing a song. I think it's harder, actually. Oh, I more time. Consuming. I definitely think it's harder. I also think, too, that like uh, filmmaking and television is so collaborative in many ways. You actually need a lot more people than you like Max to make an Arkell song. You could go away and sort of start it and then you could bring the guys in if you want. But that's it. Like you can make it and put it out. If, if Shane wanted to make like a film or, a, or, or like a pilot for a TV show he'd probably have to bring in at least like 15 other people to, mm-hmm. to get it to a certain quality. Whereas like you could probably roll a mic and pick up an acoustic and put out a song tomorrow that, you know what I mean, would be of a certain quality. I just think it's anything that's more collaborative is harder to pull off quicker just because you need more people and everyone in every department has to be talented and the soup has to come together to taste right. Whereas I think songwriting is, it can be a more solo pursuit. You know, that's a good point. I, I yeah, but this probably doesn't relate as much to film. Do you, hmm. What do you, what One do you, man show. So, sorry, one man show. Shane was going to do one before the pandemic. Well, it was a two man show, but you guys were going to do like a theater style show that you guys were putting yeah. together. That is like a, a form of art that you put out and you write and you create and perform like a song. Um, how was that going? The creative process. Like, do you feel like that could have used another three months, or do you think it would have been fine to go up the next day if it had to? So I had taken on March 11th, I had taken off the 12th and the 13th, uh, which was a Thursday and a Friday, and then I was going to. Uh, use that time to go to JR's cottage, JR Diggs. And we were going to finish the show on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that was going to be our like isolated time where we're just alone in the cottage, putting the finishing touches on the play. But that night is when you guys were at the uh, Nick Nurse show and the shit hit the fan. Tom Hanks got sick. The NBA got canceled. So, you know, I, I don't really know how that process would have gone or how I felt about it or if I think it was like tr- truly going to be amazing or anything. But I definitely think it was uh, was probably going to be really good. And uh, I was I was glad and sad to see it not come to fruition. OK, but what about the idea that people need deadlines? That's 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 one that I think about a lot, especially as it relates to my line. Oh, of work, yeah. But yeah. Also people, people need that, deadlines. that in the creative fields. Yeah, because I think that's like the other thing that isn't being talked about in the Daniel Leck piece, which which is not exactly what he's getting at, but there is something to it, which is just like deadlines, I think sometimes are good for creativity. I think it actually like whips your brain into high gear. And if and I think a lot of artists were like grew up on like a, a type of album cycle that they feel is like the be all end all, which is like, Oh, you know, arcade fire, you know, took two and a half to three years to put out the records back when they came out or, you know, you two took four years between records in the nineties or whatever the example is. And they go, Oh, this, this feels like it should apply to me. Um, but I do think that, yeah, having deadlines is, is is a useful thing. Well, I still think you're spending the same amount of time on the album, whether you release in four years or a year. It's just how much time are you taking off between writing a song or procrastinating or whatever? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when I'm writing an essay, whether I have two weeks, a month or two days, I'm still cramming the night before and putting all my effort into the 25th hour. And I think think most people are like that. I tend to agree with that. Speaking of deadlines, Max, you guys have an, uh, a song, or Kels have a song called Deadlines. Do you mm. remember the time? Track one, <laughs> Jackson Square. Do you remember the time that me, you, uh, AJ, and my brother saw Weezer at like Downsview and then drove to Ottawa because you guys were gigging? This was like years ago. And th- whatever the festival you're playing was putting up in a hotel. So you're like, oh, come, come stay in my hotel. We'll drive through the night. So we saw Weezer. And then uh, you drove or my brother drove. And me and AJ just got annihilated in the backseat, which was like so fun. Uh, 
I think your brother drove because it was your car and that's a stick shift. And so uh, your brother drove because I don't know how to do that. But Mike, that, that was a legendary night uh, for, for you in my mind because it really solidified you as one of the best talkers out there because the trip to Ottawa is famously pretty long. It's, it always feels like if you're going from Toronto or Hamilton to Ottawa, it's like an hour and a half too long. Like you, like you can get, kind of get to Kingston comfortably, <laughs> but once you pass Kingston, you're like, are we fucking there yet? And <laughs> you know, it's, it's just kind of brutal, but it, it, we left at like, again, 10 30 PM. So we weren't going to be getting in until like two thirty three in the morning. And Mike, you talked the whole time <laughs> and it was the fucking best it was the fastest trip to ottawa ever i was like this is like you know everybody has their skill set everybody has their talents and like the situations they thrive in i was like this is exactly what this car ride needed and uh you and that was like earlier on in our friendship so uh i knew from then on i could always count on you to to pass the time uh, you know on a boring car trip so it was my you. pleasure yeah it was fun we were just getting drunk and telling stories but um I remember the next day at the festival, uh, we all got very drunk. It was fun. And in your like band room, you have like, they have like a food out and stuff like that. And I remember they had this huge spread of, of cold cuts. And, uh, I thought it was hilarious because I kept singing to the, 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 the melody of we got deadlines to meet. I kept singing, we have cold cuts to eat. Mm. And I, and I wanted to take the cold cuts back to the hotel. And I just kept singing, we well, got cold cuts to eat. I thought you were going to say we have deadlines to meet, like M-E-A-T. M-E-A-T? Yeah. No, I just kept saying we got cold cuts to eat. And I took it back <laughs> to the funnier. hotel. That's funny. It's great times, great times. Guys, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, we were talking about the NBA. The NBA is back. I mean, all sports are back. Uh, Max and the guys in our Kells obviously just had their song uh, debut on the Leafs broadcast, which was like huge. I'm sure that got like massive, massive numbers and everybody's been reaching out to you guys, but that was amazing. Um, but near dear to our hearts or my heart uh, in particular, the NBA is back and the bubble seems to be holding. Uh, it seems that like all of the the thought and, and the precautions that they, that they put into uh, place um, are working and we're getting to see like amazing quality basketball. We've had two official wraps games on top of three scrimmages. Uh, they played Saturday night against the Lakers. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel, but I literally, aside from not getting the time machine too much due to uh, my therapist, Jim Carrey's advice, <laughs> I have been... <laughs> <laughs> fucking loving basketball it's on all day every day which is like it's hard you can't really watch a tumble you can always have it kind of on in the background especially if the baby's napping and then at nighttime it's just hoops man like it is it's been a dream how have you guys all felt about it shaney boy have you been watching a lot of hoops none i haven't watched one second of it uh <laughs> i just i don't have cable up here we only have netflix so uh and a playstation which i guess has disney plus but uh yeah i haven't seen any of it is is it on cable yeah it's on everywhere Oh, <laughs> is this your contribution to the pod as the pop culture aficionado? Is it on cable? <laughs> How much moonshine have you been drinking? Like this is your worst episode Wait, of I all told time. You there's Shane. a little hyperbole with that pop culture thing. <laughs> I've got two babies, man. You want to ask about Moana? I know everything. But continue, yeah, NBA, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Erica? It's great. <laughs> it feels like the Olympics or something. Like every time you turn on the TV, there's a hockey game on or there's basketball or there's soccer. Like there's always a sport now on. Like, yeah, this weekend I was just watching pretty much hockey all weekend, watch the Raptors game. Like, yeah, it's great. It feels like Christmas or something. How are the Raptors uh, doing in there? They look great. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, they look awesome. Yeah. Un undefeated except for one scrimmage loss, but they've won both their like regular season games. Mm -hmm. uh, they beat the Lakers and the Miami Heat, and they look good, man. It's really nice. fun. Hey, Mike, tell me about what you like. Um, 
that that you like about the telecasts and what surprised you and what could be better? Because I feel like you have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, I, th- I think aesthetically, like they made it look as like good as you possibly could make it look. Um, they actually have all of the sort of normal announcers that we listen to, like Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, Doris Burke, Mark Jones. They're all in the bubble. Stan Van Gundy, Ian Eagle. They're like actually like they're doing it from like the uh, court side. So it's like you're actually still you feel like. Um, you're watching a real broadcast. And one thing, and I, I actually read a piece by Michael Grange, who's a Toronto sports writer, um, saying how basketball is this sport that actually maintains its intensity despite whether there's a crowd or not. And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, he's absolutely right. Like if you're in like an intense pickup game and it's like literally just, it's, you know, schlubs playing, it does get very intense on the court. So mm-hmm. when you watch that on TV with the best players in the world in games that have stakes, you can feel it. And you actually don't need 19,000 people screaming to still feel like, um, you know, uh, LeBron James go mano a mano with somebody. It's just like, you can still feel it. So I think basketball more than the other sports is really translating. Um, the virtual fans at first, Shane, have you, you haven't seen any of this, right? Have you been seeing anything like online? Not really. Kind of like little stills. Like they have people uh, just subbed in like a video game kind of. Yeah. It's like they're, they're kind of like zooming in like, like a Zoom chat uh, and they have these like seats. But if they leave their computer, it looks like an empty seat. So like hilariously, like if Miami Heat fans get bored, you still have an empty arena of virtual fans because like half of them left the broadcast. <laughs> So it's like up on the video board. So it's real fan, the, the real people, like, are they paid? No. So it's 300 people. You have to sign up. So say you're a Raptors oh. fan and you want to be one of the 300. They don't want anybody doing anything crazy on like ESPN. So you have to be vetted and it's family and friends or like former players like Dirk Nowitzki jumped in to watch the Dallas game or Paul Pierce watched the Celtics game. I actually, I heard, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but is it true, Max, that Dan Hamilton attended the Raptors game on Saturday night? Virtually, uh, I don't think so. Maybe I didn't. Yeah, that, that was actually. that was. I've, I've talked to Dan, but maybe I it was a that. Champagne Boys rumor going around that Dan had uh, he he was one of the three hundred mm. that got to actually watch the game courtside. Or what happens if you but do I, do something crazy, like pull it out or something? It would it would probably get captured by Twitter, and you'd not be allowed back in the wow. arena. Just kind of like a real fan, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that everything about the broadcast is absolutely working. Um, it'd be it'd be cool if like, I don't know if you saw on the first night they showed like other NBA players are going to watch the games, which is really fun to see, but it's like, they're not in a really good, like filmable area. It's kind of like weird. Like you can tell that they've really set it up for like the, you know, the way that the cameras are faced. It's almost like a set, like on a, like a play, like a stage. It's like, if you saw behind the cameras, it's just like this empty arena, but what you see in the broadcast, just, it just feels really, really, really good. And I don't even miss like the courtside stuff. Cause uh, someone suggested that they're going harder uh, for loose balls because they're not worried about twisting an ankle or like knocking their head off of a fan or something like that so it's almost been more intense i honestly like other than the fact that this is all sort of playing out amid the the the, you know the backdrop of a pandemic that has been devastating for so many reasons as far as like a nice little sort of you know thing amongst like a sea of sort of bad news it's like i like they've executed it amazingly i I haven't watched hockey yet i don't know how have you guys seen anything else i thought soccer looked fine you know but it's like it is what it is. You can't do much. I just, I think the NBA, uh, when they think about their product and how to present it is the best league in the world. Obviously I'm biased just cause like I love the sport, but I'm never really disappointed, man. Like, and it just, it's such a good viewing experience. Maxi, what have you thought about the whole broadcast? Yeah. Overall, I really, really like it. I'm really happy it's back. Um, I do wonder, do, are the players on the bench, are they separated like for aesthetic reasons or for safety reasons? I can't tell because the safety reasons. It's for the COVID reasons. 
That seems ridiculous because I was like, I kind of like when players are like squeezed in right next to each other. And I know that has to do with like the arena and the other fans that are there. But for them to all be sitting five feet away from each other and then going onto the court and sweating all over each other, that seems kind of silly. And there are some like health precaution things that feel like a little like eye rolly to me, which kind of takes me out of it where I'm like, you know, there doesn't need to be like glass between the two announcers. Like everybody's in the bubble. They're all probably hanging out at the hotel lobby together with each other anyway, but whatever, if they're trying to set an example for everybody else, that's totally fine. I, the one thing I do think they're missing out on is, um, and I, ho- and I wonder how flexible they'll be with making changes to this as they go is it would be awesome to see other guys in the league, attending the games together because my favorite part of all-star weekend is seeing the players all like hang out with each other and i know they're like they're they're, they want to build up the rivalries and the teams need to hang out with each other but like i remember going to see high school basketball tournaments and seeing like the other team like with really good high school basketball teams and like one team all sitting in the stands together watching the semifinal and seeing who they're going to play against next and i think like that so if you've ever played any team sports whether that's hockey or soccer or baseball whatever it's like and you're playing a tournament as like a 12 year old and you see like that other team in, in like the blue jerseys are walking down the hall and like oh they're here it would just be kind of fun because there's there's so many awesome personalities in, in the nba and it would be like oh so-and-so sitting with so-and-so or maybe it's like it? so they ha- yeah they all showed up no but like why isn't it but uh, but uh, that should be a bigger part i of, know like, the so like i guess i guess i haven't seen that at all like let's see that that i haven't that hasn't yeah, the lakers clippers game had like kyle and damar were sitting together and then they had mellow and then they had cj and dame and they were all chilling out watching the game but when they go to the shot of it which is on the other side of the court there's they're kind of spread out as well and they all got masks on because you can't walk around without a mask on on campus so it's not as like demonstrative mm. as the guys on the bench that's the other thing that's been amazing is whenever a big play happens because there's no like fans the teams that are really tight are like going crazy. Like in the Raptors scrimmages, like Pascal was like falling over the, you know, as like for having jokes, they're like, they're doing all this really fun stuff to try and bring the energy up. And it's like a team like the Raptors who have like so much good chemistry. It's been, it's been really, really fun. But yeah, those guys are showing up. How has the uh, swearing been? They're, we're not getting court sounds. Uh, they basically like, it's, it, it sounds a lot like, um, like you'll, you'll hear squeaks of shoes. You'll hear sort of the rims, but you don't hear what you would think you would hear it's not like it's not dead like you hear music there's music pumped into the arena all the time so the guys that are playing have an atmosphere so what you're hearing more is like the music or like uh you know dun, 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 as they're mm-hmm. like setting up a play and stuff like they have stuff like that going on certain local broadcasts are like pumping in crowd noise uh which or like a you know just a murmur mm-hmm. like a talking and so you just kind of get used to it and it, it doesn't really it doesn't feel weird to me anymore to be honest like watching that miami game the other day is like this is just basketball now. And what's the exciting. difference between a home game and uh, an away game now? Uh, so the video board. So it's like it'll, the basically the whole arena is now your color. So if it's a Raptors game, it's like your logos are up on the giant video board surrounding the the court. It's all red and black. And then your 300 fans will be up on the screen. Um, oh, okay. and you, can hear, like, you can hear them cheering. Uh, but yeah, but really like home court advantage is kind of gone. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I did hear Simmons say that like it's like fighting for the two seed or the three seed like kind of doesn't mean as much anymore because everyone's playing on the same courts. Hey, Mike, are they playing? Is it all these games on the same court or is there like two it's, different? Venues? It's three different venues and they 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 rotate around and that's why they that's how they can have back to back games because they have to sanitize the courts after every game and all that. Oh, that's right. Interesting. It's like it's really intense, man. Like I like you know when you like I think that they've taken it really seriously. Like the players that haven't really been wearing a mask like around campus and stuff. I think they're getting talked to. Like I think they're just so like I know you guys are on the court playing together and you're breathing on each other. 
But if someone does bring it into the bubble, it's like the less that we, the more precautions we take, the less chance of spreading after like mm-hmm. a one case. Cause you don't want one to turn into like, uh, you know, a whole, what, what is happening? A pen, you know, a, a domino effect with the whole league. Mm-hmm. It's like, if one guy has it, the chances of him spreading it on the court are maybe lower. But if like, they're going to like all hang out by the, the pool without their masks on, I don't know. I mean, th- there is thinking behind it, even though people are like, wait a second, they can sweat on each other, but they can't, you know, do this. It's like, well, when they do do those things, they're making them sit six feet apart to play cards and stuff, which is kind of crazy. But I guess it, it necessary. Okay, so I, I obviously, and none of us have any like real experience playing in front of a big crowd. But I was talking to our f- friend Brent, who played college hockey, and I asked him, I was like, would it make a difference if you were playing in front of a big crowd versus no one? He's like, oh yeah, like in front of a big crowd when we play against like a team and we had, like four thousand people like screaming at us, and it was like a big rival. Like I was fired up. And when we were playing an empty like arena, this was in the states. He played college hockey down in New York State. He was like, I didn't really care as much. I, and I was like, oh, I wonder like if that's the case. Because I also agree with your point, Mike, which is like you can see guys at the YMCA going crazy. I know, you know, Shane is a maniac no matter what he plays. But yeah, I guess um, do, do you think that um, the players like are, you know, 5% less jacked because there's no like 18,000 people screaming? Like, because in my mind, like there has to be a little bit of uh, an adrenaline rush that they're missing, but maybe they're just such high competitive guys that it doesn't matter. What do you think? I th- honestly, like, I think like, I think the way that these guys are, they know that millions of people are watching these games and I think they've probably acclimated to their new surroundings. So now they are playing for their teammates or for that superstar who's sitting courtside watching. Like you just adjust what motivates you. But I think that like for these guys, if they're playing pickup like at a gym in the summer in LA, they're probably going to get just as heated if they feel like a call is going against them as they would on national TV. So I think they still have that juice, but it is hard to quantify whether like not having the roar of 19,500 people take something away. But I will say as somebody watching, and we haven't even gotten to the playoffs yet where there's major stakes. These games have been fucking intense, man. They've been really, really fun. I wonder if it helps some of the players too. Like if they get a little bit nervous with all those fans watching them and it takes the looseness out Mm, of their game. That's a great question. Like, I wonder if there's going to be any stat line. Yeah. TJ Warren, who is a relative nobody. (laughs) uh, He just, he just dropped 53 points, like a career high. He's not known as a big time scorer. And then he dropped 33 the next day. And those, those numbers are kind of unprecedented, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He like, he, he upset the Philadelphia 76ers and ruined uh, our good friend, Sean Dawson's bet ticket that night, which was pretty crazy. Cause like Philly should beat, you know, uh, TJ Warren's um, Indiana Pacers. Like, what was his career and, high before that, or was he not much of a scorer? Oh, he's like, he's like, he's like a guy that like people know about. Like, Phoenix basically traded him for cash, and even at the time, they're like, "Why is Phoenix trades?" He's like a development guy, so it's like people were into him, but no one thought like he doesn't project like this. And then he comes into the bubble, and like Max says, he drops over fifty, and then thirty the next, like you know, the next game. So, um. Yeah, maybe it is like a looseness or something, or maybe he's just got young legs or was working out during the uh, the four months off while other guys were sort of chilling. But I don't. I feel like the games have been really good. Do you think it's a Warren Sanity situation, like a, a Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity? Oh, well, we'll see if it's sustained, right? Mm-hmm. What, what was Lin Sanity like? Eight games of madness yeah. or something, or eleven yeah. games? Mm-hmm. It's like eleven crazy games, but I don't know. We're gonna see. That's very cool. But uh, Raps are gonna make the finals. I, I, I'm, I'm picking them. I'm picking them. Did before the bubble started. And Nick Nurse got robbed. Yeah, that, that was just the coach's yeah. uh, pure award. He'll still get the, the the main one that gets announced with the MVP and the rookie of the year and all What's that. What's the pure award? 
So the coaches get to coach for their peers. It's called the Coaches Association, like mm-hmm. uh, Coach of the Year Award or whatever. So it's like, but there can be some weird stuff that happens there. Like, you know, Dwayne Casey's not going to root for Nick Nurse no matter what he does. Like mm-hmm. stuff happens there. Mm-hmm. Whereas the official Coach of the Year Award, like the one that gets presented at the NBA Awards, that'll get announced uh, a bit down the road. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm an idiot. I thought that was the real no, one. No, Nick's going to win the, the real one, quote unquote. You're calling that right now? 100%. Nick's going to win Coach of the Year, and the Raps are going to make the finals. I don't know if they're going to win the finals, but they're going to make it. Who are they going to face? The Clips? Right, I like it. Or the Lakes? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The Clips and the Lakes, they both look mm-hmm. vulnerable. To be honest, everybody in the bubbles look vulnerable except for our Rappies. Mm. And Phoenix. Phoenix is 3-0. <laughs> Devin Booker hit a game winner today. <laughs> All right. Guys, I think it's time to get to Shaney's surprise from the cottage. Oh, wait. We're not talking <laughs> about the teddy bear? Oh, you know what? Yeah, let's pop it in quickly. Uh, this was a really heartwarming story. So um, a woman, uh, her backpack was stolen in Vancouver, I believe out of her car. But uh, in the backpack was a teddy bear that had her mother's voice saying, I love you. Uh, and her mother had passed away. So it's like this really, really sort of like um, personal uh, 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 item that like, you know, who cares if someone steals money or a wallet or whatever? It's like this bear that has your, you know, deceased mother's voice in it uh, is is irreplaceable. Uh and so she had sort of, I think she put this on social media and then Ryan Reynolds uh, amplified it by saying, uh, return the bear $5,000, no questions asked. I think we can all agree that, you know, she needs to get her bear back. Um, and then it was returned. And then, so it ended up being this really sweet social media moment. And then there was this clip I saw online of the woman with the bear and the bear says, I love you. And then she's crying and holding the bear. It was very, 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 very touching. Uh, and, and obviously I don't know if Ryan Reynolds amplifying it or offering the 5k or whatever it was, but it seemed like a nice ending to an otherwise like depressing story, which was right in line with how 2020 is going. But, um, yeah. What were your thoughts on that, Cheney? Well, the bear got returned, right? Yeah. Like it actually worked. It worked. So when I, I was reading the article, it was like, oh, some good Samaritans found the bear and returned it. <laughs> but now they're demanding that they get the reward. Of course. Oh, is it? But I don't think you can be called a good Samaritan if you still want the 15 grand, right? <laughs> I think it was only 5K. No, no. It was um, fi- it was 15 because George Strombolopoulos hopped in with five. And then craft oh. peanut butter because I, I think their representation is <laughs> is bear. They hopped in and offered another five grand because yeah, their logo wow. is a bear. So now the people are waiting for their fifteen grand. And don't Man. don't you think it's so obvious that the criminal's buddy uh, was given the bear and it was just left in a park? Like who would just find? Like why would the bear be in a park and then return 100%. it? And then now they're demanding the money back. Yeah, it's very suspicious to me. I think this is why Reynolds was like, no questions asked. I think the insinuation is if you're the dirtbag that stole this, find some a modicum of decency, return the bear, you get the money, and then none yeah. of us, we just keep it moving. But does that make you mad at all? Uh, I think stuff gets stolen all the time, and there's no way that the thief knew that they were stealing this, like, I mean, listen, theft is bad and you never know what you're going to take and what it's going to do to somebody or how it's going to shatter somebody. But this seems to be particularly egregious. And so the fact that they did return it uh, is like, eh, you know what I mean? Maybe a, a sliver of, of hope and humanity. But of course, they probably did it for the cash. But that doesn't. No, it's not. It's the ultimate steal now. Now you get all the shit you stole from the U-Haul and 15 grand. <laughs> But the th- true, but the thing is, we know these aren't high character people. They stole something from the fucking car anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, at least but the woman gets the like bear back. But it's not like a sliver back. of hope That's the for humanity. It's like everything has its price kind of deal. I just thought it was so weird. Very true. 
Yeah, I guess the hope is in that this woman had a happy ending, uh, regardless of the intent of the person. It's like Mm -hmm. we had a good outcome for one person. The victim at least had a good outcome, even though it seems the criminal was rewarded. It was desperate times for desperate measures kind of situation where you're like, Mm -hmm. listen, this is not ideal. Clearly, whoever took this thing is someone who, as you say, Mike, isn't a very high character person. And you got you got to do what it takes to get this really important thing mm-hmm. back to the person because like because I do think that like for for something to go missing in that way it has to be a perfect storm uh, of like it being left in the wrong place and the wrong kind of uh, unfortunate uh, down on their luck kind of person to come across it because I lost my wallet during COVID <laughs> I was running around I was going for a jog around Queens Park. And some guy just picked it up and he... You've already like, told this story, Max. And, You've already told this story? I told it. I told yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> We've had okay, this okay, okay. Sorry, I told, I told the story. Sorry. Delete sorry, that. Sorry. He lost it again, Delete actually. That story, no, no, please. I, no, no. Keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. Um, no, I was going to say it happened the other day to Tony. Tony rode his bike to the studio last Tuesday. Wallet fell out and he started to cancel all of his credit cards. And I said, Tony, do not cancel your credit cards. Your wallet will be returned. That is my guess. Like, <laughs> That's the worst advice. <laughs> no, 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 no. statement and it, all his money's gone. <laughs> no, no, I said, let it ride, no, no, no. baby. No, I, I said you could put a hold on your credit cards, but don't cancel mm. your credit cards. And then, and he's and he canceled them anyway. And then three hours later, the wallet had been returned. So, uh, you know, I think for the most part, you know, people return the stuff. And once in a while, a poor girl gets her teddy bear stolen, and, and you have to desperate times. You have to get Ryan Reynolds involved. That's what happens. But I think the people who return it should be celebrated even more to like a crazy extent, where it's just terribly embarrassing for them. Like, oh, here's the Good Samaritans. It's uh, this guy's special day. And like they have a parade and everything. And it just makes the guy really nervous. I think that'd be a good method. <laughs> I'm into that. Just him. He's accepting yeah. the novelty yeah. check. Like, uh, yeah. It's like, so where were you when you took the, when you took the bear? Yeah. Tell us all about that. <laughs> okay. Should we get to Shane's surprise? Yeah, man. Yeah. So there's a guy in London and his penis fell off because he, he, yeah, yeah. I saw so, okay, so he had like a an infection on his penis. His penis falls off. They come up with a procedure to put the penis on his arm. They can grow it back like a new penis. But it takes four years before the penis is ready to be glued back on or sewn back onto his genital area. So my question for you is, would you go no penis for the rest of your life or endure the four-year penis on the arm routine is the arm the only fertile ground is that the the only part you could do it well it's that or forehead so you get your choice (laughs) (laughs) no but it could be it could it could be grown on like your (laughs) your thigh or your like your your knee underneath your knee like it doesn't have to be your forearm because I feel like there's other ways you could cover that up. Like I was wondering what is it about the forearm scientifically. I don't know. I'm I'm assuming they did it in the best place possible. <laughs> it could be somewhere better, okay, but we're doing right. the forearm, okay? Don't ask any questions. Um, all right. So question. Would we so so Shane is asking us if we would put a penis on our arm in order to have it workable again in four years. So you gotta go through four years with mm-hmm. dick arm and then you get to have a penis again. How um, old are you? How old is this guy? I right think now. he's like man age. <laughs> no, yeah. maybe a millennial. We don't know. We'll get. We're gonna. We'll check that. Um, like, could you do you still have the bodily functions available to yourself? 
No, I, no, I don't. They're think not going to so. run like the urethra. And through the you arm. have to wear short sleeve shirts. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just being silly. <laughs> it's a bet, man. Yeah, now he's being silly. <laughs> That's part of the deal with the with the doctor. Yeah, the doctor's like, but here here's the catch. <laughs> well, it could get infected if you wear long sleeve. It needs yeah. to breathe. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? What the hell? I guess. I just don't, will the penis work after four years, or is it just aesthetically going to hang? There? Like, <laughs> I would hope it works. It's like you got to grow it. I don't know. Like it's like that seems crazy to me that you would reconnect it after four years after it grows, like on your arm. I got to read about the science. This seems pretty wild to me. Now's a good time to do it. Like everyone's working from home. Yeah. You can just hang out inside. You don't have to be in public too much. Like you know what I mean. Like if you're gonna do it, now's the time. Very true. Shane, would you get a penis on your arm if it meant you could have it after four years? Only if it works, though. Like, if it's just going to, like, hang... No one looks at a flaccid penis that much. I think it has to be be able to get erect. <laughs> that much. Max, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm probably in your, your camp, Shane. I think... Um, I think I think it would serve some kind of purpose if you wanted to have a kid later or you know some kind of gratification. You think it would serve like some purpose in the long term play. <laughs> it would definitely serve some purpose. <laughs>